built around the verse, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open, ask and you shall receive. And so we designed an amazing, an amazing scavenger hunt around town. It was wild, the clues were hard, it was, took a long time and that was on purpose because that was time they were gone. All right, and I love students, but 24 hours with teenagers is just rough. And so, so uh, we did that, and then we came and we had some teaching and some food. And then, if you've never done this, you ought to. We headed up to see the Brown Mountain Lights, right? Because that just kind of fit in. And so, if you don't know what they are, ask someone. You should go track. You Montreat students, sprinkle through the room. Before you graduate, you need to go and just take in the Brown Mountain Lights. So, we went up and we didn't leave till about midnight. There were about 30 students, two van loads. And we head up and we make that trek in on that tiny trail in to see the lights. Now, this group of students could sing. For whatever reason, they could sing. And so we, uh, we were singing, just singing some praise songs and choruses and that kind of thing. And it was totally dark. There were no lights at all. Uh, these are pre-cell phone days. All right. So nobody's carrying, you know, fake flashlights. It's just dark when all of a sudden, here they come. And there comes a light up the hill and then another one. And as soon as they did total silence. Mid-word, we stopped singing. And we're just watching those lights because they're a bit eerie. And so they made their way up the hill. Well, we finished doing that. Watch the lights. Singing is over. Uh, the lights are over and we turn to leave. And so we're walking out and we're on the trail and it's totally dark. And all of a sudden I'm in the front trying to be the good leader, right? I'm in the front when I tripped over something. I looked down, somebody had followed us in, and they had duct taped the trail. Yeah. And so I took the tape up, I turned around, I said to the crew, listen, somebody has followed us in, they've duct taped the trail, just stick together. All right, so they were horrified. And so we keep going, we go probably another 30 feet or so when hit the second piece of duct tape. It's about uh, waist high. And so I paused. And when I did, I could hear the person in the woods. Whoever it was was still in the woods. And I could hear them in the woods. So I said to the crew, listen, uh, whoever's doing this is in the woods right now. <gasps> you could hear these students. But I thought we're good because Josh Piercy was with us. And Josh is big. Like he's, uh, he was a football player. He's a huge kid until I look in the back and he's literally cowering in fear. <laughs> I was like, oh no, we are toast. Right. And so, uh, so, so we go on and we get out and, and we're almost to the end when there's one, you know, the classic clothesline piece of duct tape across. And so I said, Kids, get in the vans. You ought to have seen. I think they were like climbing over each other because as we were loading up, a car goes speeding out of the parking lot and that's who had followed us in. We had no clue who it was, no clue what they were doing, no clue. These kids get in the van and the van I'm in, it's deathly quiet going down the mountain. They're terrified. And we were sleeping in our old building. Have you, you, you've been in an old church building? 
So we get back, and I said, all right, kids, you know, get your stuff. They said, no, we're not. I said, this is where we're staying. No, it isn't. I said, why? They said, this building has to be full of ghosts. I said, there are no ghosts in here. Do you know where all 30 of those students ended up? My house. No lie, my house, every single one of them sleeping anywhere you can find because they were terrified, absolutely terrified of, of what they had discovered. Well, we are talking this morning about discovery and about discovering Jesus. And I want to say to you this morning that my concern And the burden of the message is that it's possible for you to uh, discover church and discover religion without discovering Jesus. And we're in the South, and it's so common. So we're working on a roof, and on Friday we were out there. It was tear-off day, and some of our students and others had come. So Gary Grindstaff and I are just standing uh, out there when this man comes down the road. And the man looked much older than what uh, we learned he was. He was hobbling, stepped out to speak to him. He knew some history of this old house on which we were working. The man's name is Roy. And I said, Roy, do you know the Lord? Yeah, he said. I said, really? Good. Roy, when did you give your life to Christ? Oh, I haven't done that. I said, what? No, no, I haven't done that. I said, what do you mean, Roy? He said, he said, no, I go to church every Sunday. Don't get me wrong, I'm there every Sunday. He told me the name of the church. I said, who's your pastor? He told me who his pastor was. He said, but I'll do that one day. I said, Roy, we are not promised tomorrow. Do you understand that none of us is promised the next day? How do you know your one day will come when you will give your life to Jesus, Roy? Do you understand? He said, oh, I'll do it one day. And I looked at him and I said, Roy, I will be praying that that day is soon for you. And he kept going. It is possible to discover a lot of things that relate to religion and church without knowing Christ. That's where Roy is. And so here we are, and a remarkable miracle has occurred Peter and John are going up to the temple, and there's a lame man lying there. He's done this forever. Everybody knows him, right? He's the beggar who has been lame since he was born. He's now a professional beggar, and Peter and John don't have any money to give him, but they say, what we do have we'll give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And the guy gets up, and he walks, and there's a crowd, Right? Makes sense? There's a crowd. And so this is Peter's moment. What might Peter do? Well, uh, I'm afraid if this had been today with television and 
Facebook that there would have been a viral video. Peter would have been the hero. He would have launched a ministry, written a book on three steps to raising lame people. Uh, The book would have sold. He would have had a tour. And Peter's ministry would have been launched into a remarkable ministry. That's not at all what Peter did, is it? Peter, first of all, said, look what Jesus did. That's what he said. Look what Jesus said. While he, the man who had been healed, clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them. And and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk. Wow. He totally deflected. He totally gave praise and glory and honor to whom it was due, which was Jesus Christ. Totally. And then he goes on and he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Hear what Peter does. And if you have lost friends like Roy who don't know Christ, this is key. What does Peter do? He starts at their beginning point. This is their beginning point. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. They get that. They're Israelites. They're Jews. They get Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and they get the fathers. And Peter brilliantly connects the beginning point, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, our fathers, all the way to Jesus. It's brilliant. It's tremendous. Could could I just offer an observation that I'd never made before until this week. Like you, perhaps, as I've read the book of Acts through the years, what has caught my attention and what has caused me to really be inspired are all the miracles, the, the, the signs, the wonders that Jesus, uh, God performed to uh, show Jesus to the world. Pioneer evangelism often is accompanied by remarkable miracles. And, and so you see that in the book of Acts. Do you know what occurred to me this week is we are just a few days removed from Pentecost when this occurs, and Peter's knowledge already of the Old Testament now connected to Jesus in the New is unreal. There's not only a miracle uh, or multiple miracles of amazing things that happen to hurting people. There is some kind of miracle of knowledge of who Jesus is that Peter, this rough and tumble fisherman, is able to articulate a theology of Jesus just days removed from Jesus having ascended. That's a miracle. These uh, apostles who all fled and Peter denied discovered Jesus. Not the Jesus they attracted around with for three days. They discovered the Jesus of the Old Testament who now they preached as the Jesus of the new uh, covenant. This new way of God dealing with people. It's unbelievable. How do we know? Listen in. Look what Peter says to this crowd. Massive crowd gathered. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. That would be Barabbas. And you killed the author of life. Wow. 
whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Notice these definite articles. The holy and righteous one, the author of life. Peter, how did you figure that out? How did you know? I mean, Peter, were you not the one who was warming yourself by the fire? And and the little girl, servant girl, came to you and said, hey, aren't you with him? And you said no. And now you, Peter, the denier, are Peter, the declarer? And you, Peter, the denier, are now the one who is declaring that this Jesus is the definite article, holy and righteous one. How does Peter get from there to there in a little bit of time? It's unreal. This knowledge that he has. As a matter of fact, as I read and researched this week, commentators believe that Peter had already, at this point, connected what you saw on the screen, Isaiah 52 and 53, to Jesus Christ. And he's already connected the dots. And the basis for his preaching here is the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah. You say, Jerry, what do we learn from that? When I say something to you, two things about discovery. Number one, if you want to know God, he'll reveal himself to you. If you really want to know God for who he really is, he'll show himself to you. You don't have to worry. He won't play hide and seek. He won't play games with you. He'll show himself to you. Number two, if you want to reveal to others who God is, you better believe he'll speak through you. If you want to share, if you want others around you to discover Christ and who he is, God's willing, able, ready to use your open mouth. He'll give you a clear mind. He'll give you understanding. Peter says you killed the author of life. Dictionary.com defines author as the maker of anything. Jesus made life. He did. You say when? Genesis, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was coming up from the land. Then the Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. The very life that ran through Adam was the life of Jesus. Jesus authored Life. This same Jesus. What were the people to do? They're listening to Peter. Peter has this opportunity to make his name great. He's choosing to make Jesus' name great. And as he's doing it, he's not pulling any punches. He looks at them and says, you killed the author of life. That's not a good way to win friends and influence people. Could I say something to you? You will never experience the fullness of the joy of your salvation until you know the depth of the sin that separated you from God. The gospel is so good because the bad news is so bad. So what do you do? Number two, repent. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers, I have to stop. Who is Peter talking to? 
He's talking to the people who yelled, crucify him. That's what he says. You crucified the author of life. And he looks at crucifiers now with that in mind. With the fact that Peter is talking to crucifiers, listen to his language. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. The graciousness of this is unbelievable. Peter, you're going to talk to the people who yelled, crucify Jesus, and say, I know you acted in ignorance. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, here we go, that his Christ would suffer. This is Isaiah 52, 53. He thus fulfilled, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. I am blown away by the grace of in Peter's address. Scripture says it is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Peter is is kindly addressing the people who cried out for Jesus to be crucified. He's kindly approaching them. He's saying, I know you acted in ignorance. How can Peter do this? Let's just push rewind, and I'll help you get that. Jesus is being tried. Peter is warming himself by the fire, and the servant girl approaches him. Peter denies. A little time passes. She approaches him again. Aren't you with him, the one who's being crucified? And he denies. The third time, Tim Keller says, and I agree, if you look at the language of the denial, it is of the worst kind. It is Peter literally calling down God's wrath on anyone. It's, it's, it's a term that I couldn't even give you the, uh, the, the, the shortened form of it were it to be said today. That is that with which Peter denied Jesus and Jesus looked at him and when their eyes caught, Peter left and Peter went out and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Jesus died. Mary Magdalene is at the tomb, sees Jesus, goes and tells the disciples, Peter and John run back. Peter had spent three days weeping bitterly. So what does he do? He and John and the other disciples are fishing Jesus shows up on the shore as they are fishing. And when he does, he looks out and he sees them and they see him. They see uh, Jesus, but Peter doesn't recognize him. John does. And when John does, John says, oh, it is the Lord. And Peter responds like Peter always does, right? Peter is just mind thinks after mouth moves or body acts. And so Peter puts on his outward cloak. He jumps into the water. He goes flailing himself toward Jesus. 
and they get to shore and Jesus tells them where to catch fish. Poor Peter, every time he's fishing, he's just terrible. And they catch 153, great detail in John 20, 153 fish they catch. And when they catch those fish, they bring them to shore, they sit down, and Jesus does something pretty amazing that I don't want you to miss. He eats with them. He, he eats. He cooks fish, they cook fish, and he eats. You say, well, Jerry, why is that big? Well, typically, unless it's an intentional event, we only eat with our family and friends. You sit across from people you know and love, and unless you're intentionally reaching out, which we as the church do a lot, but unless you're intentionally doing that, you sit with family and friends and eat, and Jesus, Jesus eats, and I happen to believe that the conversation between him and Peter, which ensues, happens in the hearing of all of the apostles that are sitting there. And he looks at Peter and he says, do you love me more than these? Peter said, Lord, you know I do. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Little time passes, right? It's not the servant girl asking the question now, it's the servant king. And he looks, he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? Servant king says to Peter, Peter looks at Jesus, Lord, you know I do. Feed my sheep. Time passes. Jesus looks at Peter, says, do you love me? Do you know what strikes me by the questions? It's not, Peter, you fool. Peter, I told you so because he did. No, it isn't that. It's not, Peter, you idiot. It's not, Peter, what were you thinking? It's not, Peter, why did you do what you did? It is no, Peter, do you love me? And, and it's the third time, and Peter is so deeply moved. And he says, Lord, you know I do. And Jesus said to him, then, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. And then Jesus says something, which Peter later references in his second letter, Second Peter. Jesus looks at him and says, one day, Peter, they're going to stretch your your." your body out. You'll have no control over it. What? What in the world was Jesus saying? If you go to 2 Peter, Peter tells you that Jesus was saying that he indeed would die as Jesus had. Do you know the reason that Peter can look at the people who crucified Jesus and say, hey, you acted in ignorance. Because he did too. He did too. He, he thought he knew who Jesus was. But he really didn't know who Jesus was. And when the knowledge came, when the understanding came, he trusted Jesus. Peter repented. He was a repentant apostle. And I would say you must repent too. 
you must repent too. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you've been, regardless of the sin you've committed. You say, is there hope for me? I would say if there's hope for the crucifiers, you might fall under that category somewhere. And then three, Peter looks at them and says, look what God will do. Wow, that your sins may be blotted out. (laughs) Crucifiers, if you will come to Christ, when you walk into the gates of heaven one day and you see his nail-scarred wrist, he won't remember that you did that. Did you hear that? Crucifiers, if you will come to Christ when you walk into heaven one day and you see his nail-scarred wrist, he will not remember that you did that. That's grace. That's the greatness of the grace of Jesus Christ. Why would you not repent? Why would you not turn? Why would you not come to such a one? Micah 7, 19, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. I love what my dad adds to that. And the only person who can retrieve them is a deep sea diving hypocrite. Right? There are those. Or Psalm 103 Wow, if you struggle to know, does God, will he forgive you? He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As the Father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are what? Dust. Wow. You know what strikes me about this? East and West. Because when the psalmist wrote this, he could not have known what we know today and what we have learned since about poles and about East and West. Why? Because if he had written North and South, well, you can get there. There's a pole. Either place, you can arrive there. East and West, you'll never get there. He has cast them as far as the East is from the West. He will blot out your sins. But then there's future eschatological promises here yet to be. Here they are. Times of refreshing. He may send the Christ appointed for you and he'll restore all things. Times of refreshing. Well, we get a little glimpse of that, don't we? We sing the songs, we worship together, we get little glimpses, but heaven will be uh, uh, forever eternal times of refreshing. Wow. In a given week here at Grace, we navigate so many heartaches, so many difficulties. Just they, they, they just run the gamut. And you're sitting here this morning, many of you, hurting deeply. You know, Peter looks at those people and says, oh, there's a, there's a God who, who, who promises times of refreshing. Yesterday morning, standing in this wonderful 73-year-old woman's house who's 
roof that uh, the crew's finishing up as we speak. She said to me, oh, I've just been in here singing songs to the Lord. I said, you have? She said, oh, yes. I hear the pounding on my roof, and it's the Lord talking. It's the Lord talking, and she's just overjoyed. She said later, I've driven up and down the roads, and I see roofs on houses, and I'll say, oh, Lord Jesus, send me a roof. Lord Jesus, you know I need a roof. You know how bad I need a roof. And she said, the Lord hears the cries of his children. That's what she said. And I answered back. There were four of us then. It was late yesterday. We were tired. I answered back and said to her, and he knows how desperate you were because we're who he sent. (laughs) This is it. We all just laughed together. Because I say something to you this morning. I love poor people. I do. I do. Love wealthy people. Love poor people. Can I say something to you this morning? There is coming a day when that 73-year-old woman will not have to wonder if the rain will come through on her. And the longer I serve people, the more I long for that day. Not only that, he may send the Christ appointed for you. One day, you will see Jesus face to face. That's what Peter says. That Jesus you crucified is coming back. Why? Because God raised him from the dead. He's coming back and you'll look him in the eye. You'll see him face to face. That Jesus, you will see. And I long for that. I, I long to see him. I long to, to talk with him. I, I long to look at his nail-scarred wrists and just wonder how in the world and what was going through your mind and to think if I, I really, like there's one verse, if I, if I had one verse, one, just in all of Scripture, I could ask Jesus about one verse I want to know, I want to know in Hebrews 12, when it says, for the joy set before you, Jesus, you endured the cross. Tell me what the joy was. Jesus, tell me the joy. Tell me what the joy was that caused you to go through such excruciating and awful, heinous pain. What was it, Jesus? The joy set before you, you endured the cross, and then restoring all things, Peter says. Garden of Eden all over again, only better. All right, so how can it be better than the Garden of Eden? Because I hear many people say, it will be the Garden of Eden again. No, we can't go back there. We must go back beyond there. You say, what do you mean? The Garden of Eden without the potential of sin. That's the difference. Without the tree from which we should not eat. You see, there is sin and there is its potential. One day, it won't even be a potential. It won't be, even be a possibility. 
you wouldn't want to sin. But even if you could want to sin, you couldn't sin. This world has never known that day. Wow. Even crucifiers can be forgiven. Do you know that Jesus? Who reaches out crucified hands to crucifiers and says, come to me and I'll blot out your sins. I'll wait for you in heaven. I'll refresh you as you have never been refreshed. Do you know him? Something tells me that if Roy, that I met on Friday, could somehow meet that Jesus, he might not wait another day. You shouldn't either, Lord. You were pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our sins. By your wounds, we are healed. Jesus, I I pray for people in this room who may have done so many religious things yet do not know you personally and redemptively as the forgiver of their sins. Oh, Jesus, may they today receive you as Savior. And then I pray for those in here who do but do not have a clue. They they don't understand. I pray that they too would come to the, the altar. They come to this place and receive you as Savior. Not from their sins, but from their selves. That they, they would uh, just... Realize that your grace is enough, it is sufficient, it covers all of their sins. Oh, may this place flow with redemption. Pray this, Jesus, in your strong name. Amen. Let's stand. This morning, we're giving you an opportunity to come forward. Don't always do that. Really felt we should today. If you don't know Christ... Or if you, whatever, whatever your need is, come.
great phrase, bear the cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. Amen? I want to encourage you to do that. Zach, will you come? Yesterday at Crossfire, you may be familiar with Crossfire Ministries, Randy Shepard, uh, Jamie Johnson, uh, two whom God uses wonderfully. This young man gave his life to Christ. And so we celebrate that with you. And we'll be praying for you, absolutely praying for you. And so uh, I just wanted you to see his face and face name. Be praying for this young man as he begins his walk with the Lord. You can uh, stand right there. He said, I don't have to say anything, do I? <laughs> no, you don't. You're coming forward, says loads. And so be praying. Um, as we leave this place, students, you have an opportunity tonight as youth, invite somebody uh, to join you, and I uh, hope, hope you're not tired of me. Our, our youth pastor's on sabbatical, so I'm, I'm pinch hitting tonight. So I'm preaching uh, for him at youth tonight. That's 5P children uh, here in this building, and uh, as you know, we use our building all week long, so chairs on either side come down. God bless you. Have a great rest of your Sunday.